Hello and welcome to MindQuest. I am your host, Miguel Morales, and this is Mission Control Center. Hello and welcome one more week to Mission Control Center, your one-stop shop for IT careers and recruitment advice. This week we chat with Peter Fisher, freelance web developer and host of the How to Code Well podcast, a podcast devoted to teaching others how to code, and become better web developers. Peter will be discussing why he started teaching coding and some of the best career advice he has given over the years. Make sure to visit mindquest.io slash blog for the full interview. There you will also find our newly published resources for IT pros, including a fresh look at the role of the SOC analyst. But without further delay, let's welcome Peter. Hi, Peter. Welcome to Mission Control Center, and thank you so much for being here with us today. How did you get into web development? When I was at school, I was building small little websites for myself and friends just to uh, post images on. And I found it interesting that uh, one could build something with really small feedback loops. All you had to do was write some HTML code and refresh the page and you had something. That was a very um, creational uh, way in, I found, into programming. I never actually wanted to be a programmer. Um, I actually started off from a, an art sort of background. So I did a lot of, at university, I did a lot of um, graphics design and a lot of uh, 3D animation. We did a lot of uh, flash animation and action script coding. Um, so the coding came alongside the multimedia stuff. And then when I got my first job in a, a web development agency, I discovered very quickly that I wasn't actually a graphics designer. I was more of a coder. So I was able to transfer my uh, passion of design to be a passion of, say, uh, designing an architecture. You are the host and teacher of How to Code Well, a podcast and learning hub around web development and coding careers. How did this adventure start? I never started How to Code Well with the intention of actually um, building a business from it or being a creator from it. It was, that was a pure accidental thing that I got into. So I always started blogging, um, when I started learning because that was my way of keeping notes. So I was writing to myself rather than to others. The whole how to code well thing that came out of a complete accident because after I finished university, I was in this similar ocean of developers who've just come out of university and they were looking for the same jobs. And it was just by chance that I was speaking to one of the, uh, one of my, one of the recruitment agents that I was on the, on the call with, um, on, you know, I would call them again and again, like loads of phone calls and emails to recruitment agents and stuff. And one of them off the cuff just said, I wish there was a way I could show, um, our clients, how well you can code. And then, and this was like, you got to remember, this was like 2006, 2007. Uh, so I just thought, you know, YouTube is just coming out, you know, that's, uh, that's something that's people are starting to use more. So I will video myself doing some, um, some code and it was a very selfish decision. It, it was never intended to actually teach anyone how to code. It was just, how I code. So I might, might, I could have called it how well I code rather than uh, <laughs> how to code well. But then you decided to focus on helping others. What changed? I did about four videos and 
I posted the links up onto my CV and I very much doubt that anybody actually saw those videos from a job perspective. And I forgot about it for a few years and I didn't log in. I didn't bother logging back into YouTube. I just thought that was off of a whim. That was done. And then one of my family members wanted to uh, post or share a video amongst other family, four other family members. And I just thought, oh yeah, I've got this YouTube account. Um, let's log in. So I logged in after several years of it being dormant. And I noticed that there was a ton of comments and questions and feedback, which was all very positive. And I thought, well, hang on a minute, this is actually something I could run with. And it went from a very selfish decision of promoting myself to actually helping people out. And I had questions about, you know, uh, how to do other things, how to use other programming languages. Uh, where's the next part of this course? And I never thought it was a course when I did it. Um, so yeah, that's how it all kind of uh, came about, how to code well. <laughs> what was the most challenging part of starting to produce educational content on a regular basis? The most challenging is time, right? So I was a junior dev working at a, on a full-time job with freelance work on the side. And I, I was now teaching people to code. <laughs> so time was quite a, a thing that uh, was against me and is against me. Um, so I do these things. I've got a very strict sort of no policy rule of doing it during working hours. So it's like evenings and weekends. And over the several years, I've managed to keep that uh, going. But there's, there's a lot of sacrifices one has to make. Like, for instance, I will live code on YouTube on Tuesdays after work, right? So my, my working day is, is prolonged. And so my downtime is shorter. Um, and also I will live code on Twitch on Sundays and therefore my Sunday afternoons are, um, out of the water, right? So, so that means, and there's a lot of preparation that has to, you have to do before you do that. So you need to think about what it is that you're going to code and talk about. Um, so time and energy spent is, um, is probably a, a challenge, um, but uh, it's very re rewarding, I would say. And what about imposter syndrome? Do you experience it yourself? How do you address it? Imposter syndrome is something that is definitely real. And with the podcast that came through accident as well, because I started doing long form content where I was touching upon subjects that I didn't know much about. Right. So uh, and it got to a point where I was getting to the limits of my knowledge and I, I just decided to bring people on the show, right. And, and actually learn from them. So it's always a learning journey. So for me, it's always knowing where my limitations are and building the courses. There's every course I build. I always think that, um, I've done the wrong thing. I've said the wrong technical thing. You know, I've pronounced an acronym wrong. Um, I will go, I will do a, a, a course, say, say if it's a, t a tutorial, say it's a 10 minute tutorial and there'll be two hours worth of worth of footage that gets removed just from a 10 minute video because I've, I haven't pronounced something right. I haven't said something right. I've gone about it wrong. Um, the flow wasn't correct. Um, and you're always, you're constantly doubting yourself. Um, it does get it. It does get easier because you get used to that feeling, and you can sort of have a little word with yourself and say, you know, it's it's fine. You know, it's it's okay. You can publish it. 
You'll never truly know how the audience is going to react until you do publish that. So every doubt that you've got in your mind is just your doubts. It's not doubts of others. Um, so yeah, I think, I, I, I think that's how I get through it. Um, but, um, speaking to people on the podcast though, who know about the subject matter, I do come away feeling like I know nothing. Um, I, I know what they've said because I've understood what they've said, but it just makes me aware of how little I know of web development, um, which is a great, which is another reason why web development is so good because there is so much to know and so much to learn. Um, it's endless. So you'll never learn everything. <laughs> In your experience, what makes a good web developer versus a great one? From a technical standpoint, um, a good web developer knows the syntax and the processes, right? So that's a, what a, a good developer knows. But a, a great developer uh, understands the technical consequences of those processes and those decisions, and they can lean upon past experiences. Also, a great developer is highly professional. Um, so they know when to say no, and they have justifications of why they're going to say no. You know, they, they have testing, they, they know how long things are going to take, they have some experience behind the thing that they're actually doing. They've seen it from inception to deployment, and they've gone through the whole bug fixing cycle. But really, I think what boils it down is experience. Um, you can't just learn to be a great developer. You must embrace it and experience it. Based on what you've seen through your courses... What are most developers struggling with these days? Understanding core programming concepts is something that um, I see a lot. So knowing the framework, but not, not understanding the core uh, principles of the programming language behind that framework. Learning the programming, uh, the concepts of programming, it's a transferable skill, right? And so I'm not just talking about learning JavaScript or learning PHP or Python, it's, it's learning the operators, learning the logical flows, learning what a function is versus what a class is. All of those things you can take with you to the next programming language. So diving into frameworks is something that I see a lot of people doing and, and then getting stuck when they move to another position or another job or when that framework changes um, because they are, they're comfortable in that world, but they're not comfortable in the world outside of that framework. And what's the best career advice you have given over the years? I've been given a load of career advice on the podcast, but these are the three that I've boiled down. Um, so first of all is to take breaks, right? So take more breaks than you think you need to because your brain works offline. Um, so even if you're not physically at your machine, you're thinking about the work. And in fact, I think about the work when I wake up and when I go to bed. You know, I never switch off in terms of thinking about the bugs that I need to fix or the logical flows. But because I'm not staring at a screen, I'm not getting stressed about it. It's I'm processing the this information in my brain in the background. Even when I'm watching TV or mowing the lawn or doing the laundry, um, when you come back to to the code, it's I find sometimes it's easier to identify those the issue that you were in. Uh, so the second one is to keep asking questions. Um, so web development is super, super, super hard, and it's going to get harder. Um, you think you know it now, but you know in two years' time, you'll, you'll know two years' worth of it, and then you'll discover another 12 years that you don't know, right? <laughs> so there's so much, there's more stuff 
that you there's there's more stuff of web development that uh, I don't know than there is that I do know, and I've been in it for a long, long time. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, so web development is super hard. Don't beat yourself up, and if you don't understand what you're trying to achieve, uh, then ask someone. And if you don't understand what that person's saying, then ask someone else, because perhaps that person hasn't talked about the answer in a way that that you can absorb well. Maybe you're more of a visual learner or, a, you know, maybe they can uh, show you on a whiteboard or actually take you through the process, that kind of thing. Throwing acronyms at someone isn't a very useful thing, right? <laughs> and lastly, um, technology comes and goes, right? So at university, I studied, I studied, get this, Visual Basic and Action Script. Well, Action Script is for Flash. No, Flash never is used. Um, and Visual Basic, I have, I just wouldn't even, no, I just, <laughs> I did well in that course, but I, uh, I've never used it. <laughs> um, so what I'm trying to say is technology comes and goes and whatever you learn now probably won't be the thing that you'll be learning in 10 years time or doing in 10 years time. So what you need to do is accept that and embrace change, but don't embrace change every five minutes. Thank you, Peter. We hope to speak to you soon again. You can follow the How to Code Well podcast live on YouTube every Thursday at 8 p.m. British Standard Time. The audio version is released every Friday and is a week behind the live show. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, and most other podcast platforms. You can also follow How to Code Well through its website and on Twitch. And now, this is what happened in technology this week. According to a fresh Gartner prediction, 80% of all tech solutions will be coming from areas outside of traditional IT by 2024. This democratization of software development is being fueled by the rise in low-code and no-code development tools, as well as by the availability of ever more powerful AI-assisted development environments. Ultimately, this shift is the result of the tech boom brought about by the pandemic. Most areas of activity had to pivot and found a lifeline in new tech-powered business models, developing new technologies with their own resources rather than those of the IT department. And moving on to other news. The SAP Business Network is the biggest announcement to come out of this year's Sapphire Now virtual event, one that responds to the lessons learned after 15 months of a global health crisis. These include the potential of remote work and greater cloud integration, but also warning signs regarding what can go wrong when supply chains are not properly connected and lack adaptability. With its business network, the German software manufacturer effectively brings together the Ariba network, the SAP Logistics Business Network, and the SAP Asset Intelligence Network. More than 5.5 million companies will benefit from this connected community. And finally, a 21-year-old woman suffering from cerebral palsy has been able to pursue her passion for music thanks to a gaze-controlled software solution that lets people with physical disabilities play an instrument with only eye movements. A harp, in this case. Dubbed the eye harp, the system has been developed by computer scientist Zacharias Van Bacusis who came up with the idea after a good friend of his was hurt in an accident and could play music no longer. The woman has been able to perform on stage in Athens in real time, something which has required some training, but that has filled her and her family with joy. Over 2,000 people have already downloaded the software. And that's all for this week. Make sure to follow us on social media. We're on LinkedIn at MindQuest Talent and on Twitter at MindQuesting. Thank you for listening and until next time. Thank <laughs> you.